Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Good morning, Emmanuel Church. Is anybody excited to be here today? It is a pleasure and a joy to be with you. Hey, if you are joining us for the very first time here at Greenwood or at Banta or at Franklin or at Garfield Park, or if you're joining us for the very first time online, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests? Thank you for... Accepting someone's invitation, they truly believe, whoever invited you truly believes that, uh, that you will benefit from, being, from what's going on here at Emmanuel Church and we, you'll be blessed by it. Hey, if you're not brand new, welcome back. We're starting a brand new series today called Relentless Pursuit, the Relentless Pursuit. This is a phrase that if you've been coming for a while, you know this phrase. You've heard this phrase. This phrase, relentless pursuit, was actually something that our staff came up with about 12 years ago. We were sitting around thinking about, hey, what can we say? The, what, what kind of words can we say or can we use to capture God's heart for this world? And, and what our team came up with was this phrase, relentless pursuit. Pursuit. In fact, we came up with an entire sentence, and some of you are familiar with it because you hear us talk about it all the time in your notes, and this is the entire phrase. We are on a relentless pursuit to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. Like, that is what we are all about at this church, at Emmanuel Church. In fact, this statement here is the reason why in 2013 we launched our Banta campus. Yes, Banta, we see you. Can we give it up for Banta right now? <clears throat> And this, is, this statement right here is, is why we launched the Franklin Campus in 2015. Yes, we see you, Franklin. Can we give it up for our Franklin Campus? We want to reach people far from God in the Franklin area there. This is the reason right here in 2018 we launched our online campus. Can we give it up for all of our online folks watching from all over the country and all over the world? And in 2019, this statement is the reason why we launched our Garfield Park Campus. Yes, we see you, GP. Yes, that's right. Our fastest growing campus, Garfield Park. 
Like, this is the reason why we do what we do. In fact, right now, this weekend, we have a group of people driving up from Seymour to join us at the 11 o'clock service because God seems to be opening a door in Seymour for us to perhaps, maybe, there's a potential to launch another campus in Seymour, Indiana. Anybody excited about that? So we ask for your prayers. After the 11 o'clock service today, uh, the leadership team, myself, my wife, we're driving to Franklin. We're going to meet. We're going to have lunch with those folks. We're going to do some Q&A. We're going to cast some vision. And we're just going to go until we get a a no, right? We talked about that in one of our previous series. Like, we are going to say, God, is this what you want? Is this the next space that you want us to enter into so that we can see people come to Christ and grow in Christ? And if he says yes, we're going to move forward. If he says no, we'll change directions. But we're praying that this, this really does look like a great opportunity for us. This, this statement here is the reason why we would partner in, with, with uh, organizations like SMI Haiti and Hope Road Nicaragua and Exodo Church in Colombia and Africa New Life over in Africa, who all of those organizations are building churches and orphanages and fe- having feeding programs and going into the communities and doing evangelism. They are actively pursuing people to come to Christ and grow in Christ. This statement right here is the reason why we would do something like Impact Week. We'd we'd ask all of you to join in and and serve in some capacity in our community. This statement right here is the reason why we would say every single week, would you please give generously? There's five ways to give. Most of you could probably quote them by now because you see the video every week. And you know, you got the giving boxes on the back. You got the, you know, the, 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 the giving kiosks in the back. You can do, you could do it at the website. You could text the word give to 65248. Why would we ask you for, for generosity every single week? Well, because I want to drive a Bentley one day. That's the answer, right? No, that's not the answer. Like, no one's trying to get rich here. That was supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Like, the reason we want you to give generously is not to make the staff rich. It's so that we can get into a place like Seymour and and maybe perhaps Martinsville or Shelbyville or Avon or Plainfield and continue to reach people and see them come to Christ and grow in Christ. Is this making sense? This is the reason why every single week we say to you before we leave, the campus pastor, or or I say myself, hey, God bless you. We love you. See you next week. Bring a friend. Like, we actually mean that. Like, we want you to bring a friend to sit next to you so that they can hear the gospel, and we we preach the gospel every single week. Every seven days, your friend, your neighbor, your loved one, your co-worker has an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus Christ at Emmanuel Church. Is anybody excited about that? Amen? That's intentional. That's intentional. It's why we do what we do. Why are we so focused on this as a church? I mean, why would we shut a program down like Upward Basketball? Anybody remember Upward Basketball a couple years ago? Man, we killed Upward Basketball. Man, we had lights and smoke, and the kids would run out, and they had uniforms. and We did basketball right at Emmanuel Church. Does anybody remember that? Yes? It was years ago. And, and we were killing it, and parents were signing their kids up, and we had coaches, and we had players, and every Saturday this place was packed. And then we decided to cancel Upward Basketball. People were mad at me. <laughs> like, why did you take away our basketball program? Here's why. Because Emmanuel Church is not called to teach your kid how to do a crossover between the legs and the righty layup. I mean, that's not our mission. Here's our mission. Ready? We want to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And when we looked at the basketball program, what we realized was that people were not coming to Christ and growing to Christ. Their kids were learning how to play basketball. And so we canceled that thing. We canceled, you know, trunk and treat. We canceled this. We, we cancel anything at this church that doesn't help us fulfill our mission. Make sense? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. Because we're focused. We're focused. Why are we so focused? Here's why. Because people are lost. People are lost. And Jesus came to find them. 
People are lost and Jesus came to save them. And what we've done at our church is we've just kind of matched our heart up with Jesus' heart the best we can. In Luke chapter 19, there's a great story about a guy named Zacchaeus. If you grew up in church, you know this story well. Let me tell it super quick. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He is one of the top dogs. He's like one of the mafia bosses, okay? He is ahead of all the organized crime. Not really, but in a sense he was. Because what tax collectors would do is they would overcharge on the taxes. They would pay the Roman government and they would put the difference in their pocket. And they would become extraordinarily wealthy. And there was nothing that the people could do. There were no regulations. So tax collectors were thieves. They were hated. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. But perhaps money and, and the stuff that money could buy and being hated by everyone in the community started to get to him. He started to realize, man, there's got to be more, than life, more to life than this. So one day he hears that Jesus is going to pass through town. So he's like, man, I got to get a glimpse of this guy. Like people are saying he's got something that money can't buy and like he heals people and he might even be the Messiah. So he goes out into the crowd, and he's trying to get a glimpse of Jesus, but he can't see over the crowd. Why? Because he is, yeah, he's just a short little guy. He's just a peewee little guy, you know what I mean? And so he has to climb up into a tree to try to get a view of Jesus. So sure enough, he climbs up into, into the sycamore tree, and, and Jesus passes by. And as Jesus is passing by, Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus. He stops for the one person, and he calls him by name. I love this story because here's what's true. He would stop for you, and he knows your name. And so he stops for Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Tonight I want to be a guest at your house. We're going to have a meal, and we're going to talk about life because I know you're searching. And so sure enough, he does. He comes down the tree. They go to his house that night, and Zacchaeus gives his life over to Jesus. How do we know this? Because Zacchaeus says something powerful to Jesus. He says, I'm going to give half of all of my money to the poor, and if I have stolen anything from anyone, I won't just pay back what I stole, but I'm going to give them four times as much as I stole. And Jesus responds and says, salvation has come to this house. And then in chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus gives us his mission statement for life. Listen to this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are, say it with me, lost. People are lost. Zach was lost. He was living it up. All kinds of money. Could buy whatever he wanted to buy. Go wherever he wanted to go. But he was lost. What does it mean to be lost? It could be an offensive word, lost. Well, think about it. What are the things that you lose? Here's a few things that I lose. This is my wallet. <laughs> I tend to misplace this. Anybody else? <laughs> I do that regularly. This one is uh, a regular occurrence right here. I misplaced this, but I've got my little magical ding here, and I ding it and find it, and that, that helps a lot. Anybody else lose these? Yeah, now I've got the I've got this little thing here called the tile. That helps me because I constantly lose my keys and you press that button, it starts to ding and all that stuff. Just yesterday, just yesterday, last night, I lost this case. No joke, no joke. I had, I had this is my, these are my iPods. I had my, my, my AirPods in and I'm, and I'm jamming out and last night after church and I go home and I'm listening to a nice little book and all of a sudden I realize, where's my case? I don't know. When was the last time I saw it? With church last night because I used it as a prop. And so I start to look in my car, I go out to my car, can't find it, on the seats, can't find it. I go into the house, honey, have you seen my case? I just had it at church. I used it as a prop at the four o'clock service. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Can't find it. Go to bed, can't, oh, frustrated, wake up this morning. Where, oh, it's got to be in my car. Go back out to the car, searching, searching, searching. Search. Come into church here today and they say, hey, look, you left your case. <laughs> like, oh, 
my case. Because without this, these are worthless. You with me? Anybody ever been there? They go dead. And it's just so depressing. <laughs> what does it mean to, to lose something? What does it mean to be lost? Isn't it true that, that to lose something means it's out of place? It's not where it should be. Isn't that what, it's, isn't that what it is? Isn't it true that when people are lost, they're just out of place? People are, they're just not where they should be. Isn't that, isn't that true? That's what it means for something to be, to be lost. Back in the day, um, before we had these phones and when you traveled, uh, you, you didn't have a, the maps and so you couldn't follow the blue dot and she couldn't tell you where to go. The British lady, anybody use the British lady? We had to use big old maps with highlighted routes and inevitably, I would always miss a turn. And then I wouldn't know where I was. I was not where I was supposed to be, and I'd have to backtrack. Anybody remember using, anybody remember using the maps? <laughs> Some of you are like, what are you talking about? I know, I know. Technology. When people are lost, they're not where they should be. Which begs the question, where should they be? Where should people be? In your notes, I wrote it like this. All people are designed to live in relationship with God. That's where they should be. That's where the proper place for a human being. Every single human being who's alive is designed to be in a relationship with God. You know, you think about a fish. A fish is designed to be in water, right? In the water, that fish thrives. It moves. It's designed to move in the water. It's designed to breathe in the water with its gills. You take that water out. You take that fish out of the water. What happens? It can't move. It's flopping around. It can't breathe. It might survive for a little while, but what happens to it eventually? It dies. It perishes. We're going to come back to that word at the end of this talk. When a human being is not in the kingdom of God, when a human being is not in relationship with God, he's flopping around. She's flopping around. You see anybody flopping around today? Flopping around in sexual immorality, hooking up and addicted to pornography and sexual pleasure is their life and they're just flopping around and they seem like they're alive but they're slowly perishing. Is that you today? Have you seen it? Do you have a friend that way? Addicted to pornography. They're lost. Do you know anybody who's flopping around with this thing called alcohol and they drink it and they drink it and they can't stop drinking it and they live for the weekend because they can drink even more on the weekend? Know anybody like that? Is that you today? Flopping around. They seem to be alive and they are physically, but they're slowly perishing. Yes? Another six-pack, you know, another fifth of whatever. Do you know anybody like this? Do you know anybody who's chasing money? And they seem to be alive, but, but they never have enough, and they, they have to have more, and they're looking for the next deal, and they, they buy the next thing, and, and they seem to be alive, but they're flopping around, slowly perishing, because they're not in relationship with God. They're pursuing wealth. They're pursuing pleasure. There's a lot of people flopping around today out, out of the water, in a sense, slowly perishing. How do you know people are perishing? Well, they're pursuing all these things and they're even tasting them and taking them into their lives, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or sexual activity that's inappropriate outside of God's will, whatever it is, they seem to be alive, but they're slowly perishing. How do you know? Their lives are filled with anxiety, anger, hatred, depression. They struggle to get through their days, but they go back to their addiction. It's everywhere today, and that's what we see. Human beings lost, outside, not living in a relationship with God. Another way to say this is that human beings are designed to live in the kingdom of God. That was Jesus' message. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, listen to what Jesus said. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. He was a preacher. He wasn't just a teacher. He would preach. Here was his message. To preach is to proclaim the truth. Repent. Turn. That's all that word means. Turn around, do a 180, and go the opposite way. Repent from where you're going into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, here's the situation with you and me. I mean, this is how we're designed. We're born to this world, and we think we're kings, and we think we're queens. So we call the shots. We're ego-centered. A lot of us are narcissistic in, in many ways. We run our own lives. Jesus says, you need to repent of that and leave your kingdom or queendom, ladies, and step into a different realm underneath a different rule, underneath a different leader, and that's your water. That's where the fish thrives. That's where the human being is designed to live, in the kingdom of the heavens. That was Jesus' message. His message wasn't pray this prayer so that when you die, you go to heaven. That wasn't his message. Right here, right now, you can live under God's rule and God's reign. Listen to the way Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. This is the work of God in the world today. God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. That word transfer means to take from one place and to put, put something into another place. God has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness, which is also ruled by Satan and, the, and his kingdom and his realm. He's taken you out of that kingdom. He's rescued from that ki- you from that kingdom, and he's transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave us of our sins. Anybody excited about that? That is the work of God in the world today. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Great Omission, he explained it like this. A little bit complicated, but I think it's helpful. A person is a spiritual person to the degree that his or her life is effectively integrated into and dominated by the kingdom of God or his rule or his reign. Or his, his reign. Put that into layman's terms. A person is a spiritual person to the degree that they are living in the flow of God's kingdom and God's rule. That's what makes a person spiritual. That's where we were designed to live. And people are not living in the kingdom today. And that's what our church is all about. That's why we're on a relentless pursuit, to help people who are lost find their proper place in the kingdom. Is this making sense? You know, you could tell a lot about a person by how they spend their money and the stuff that they buy. And you could tell a lot about a person by how they dress and, you know, the things that they wear. But I think you can tell the most about a person by how they spend their time. I really do. You look like time always captures someone's priorities. You could tell the most about a person by how they schedule their time. Because that tells you what's most important to them. Make sense? Yes or no? Agree with this? Now, when we look at the New Testament, we look at how Jesus spent his time, we can see him spending time with religious leaders. When hopefully you read the New Testament, I, I encourage you to read it every single day. You see Jesus spending time with children. You see him spending time with his disciples, teaching them, living with them, working with them. You see him spending time with sick people, healing them, people who are blind or lame. Or You see Jesus spending time with lots of different people. But then, but then, if you read it carefully, if you read the New Testament carefully, you see him spending extra time with these people we'll call disreputables. Extra time. Inordinate amount of time. He's spending time with these people, these people, these But then he's like, he's hanging out with these disreputable people 
often. Now, what does it mean to be disreputable? Well, it's, dis is mean, it means opposite. It doesn't mean, oh, you dissed me. I mean, that is a word. <laughs> Stop dissing me. But that's not what we're talking about. Dis means opposite. So, the, so opposite of reputable. Reputable, reputable being, man, that person's top-notch. You can trust them. They're great. They keep their word. They're awesome. They're a person of integrity. Opposite of that is a person who doesn't keep their word, who lies, who will cheat, who steal. Here's a great word that captures disreputable. Shady. You know any shady people? Now, see, now you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I got some shady people in my life. Yeah, you should, because Jesus did. <laughs> shady people. They're slippery people, right? They always find their way out of a situation. They lie, cheat, and steal however they got to do it. A lot of politicians are like this today. Very slippery. Jesus spent a lot of time with disreputable people. One situation was captured in Luke chapter 15. Watch this. It says that tax collectors, and we already talked about them, right? They were the people that stole from their own people, right? Jewish leaders overcharged their own people, paid off the Roman government, and pocketed the difference. And tax collectors and other notorious sinners. I love this word notorious. It's like they were famous for doing wrong. That's what that word means. I mean, these were, these were people who, they didn't just sin. They weren't run-of-the-mill sinners. They were like extraordinary sinners. They were really good at sinners. And everyone knew that they were really good uh, at sinning in the community. I mean, we're talking about prostitutes. We're, gonna, we're talking about people that were really doing wrong. Tax collectors and notorious sinners. And here's, here's what's interesting. Watch this next word. And you got to look at words in the scriptures. You can't just read and read and read. you got to stop and pause because words are meaningful. These notorious sinners would, watch this, often. Not every now and then. Not once a month. But they would often, regularly come to listen to Jesus teach. How interesting. The notorious Sinners, the ones that, I'm sitting on the Bible, the ones that didn't go to temple, didn't go to church, blatantly broke the law, would, would, would crowd around Jesus. Isn't it interesting that, that those who were not like Jesus liked him? Hmm. How different is that in today's world? Why did they like him? They had nothing in common with him. Well, perhaps it was his ability to take truth, because Jesus preached the truth, and, and, and balance it with love and hope and grace. Maybe, maybe they, they felt that what he was saying was hard to hear, but the way he was saying it was so hopeful and so grace-filled that they couldn't help but come back to hear more. Wow. Those who were not like him liked him. But this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law very upset, and they began to complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. This, let, me, let me explain what's going on here. The, back in Jesus' day, if you were a religious leader or a priest of any kind, you didn't associate with such people. In fact, you avoided them. You, 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 your perspective about these types of folks, tax collectors, prostitutes, notorious sinners, was that God was just, he was waiting to send fire from heaven to burn them up. And you didn't want to be around them when that happened. Like, God hates these people. That was their perspective. And even that, that, that mentality exists today. I mean, have you ever invi invited someone to church and, and, and they're like, uh, yeah, I can't come to church because if I come to church, you know, the place is going to 
And when someone says that to me, I always assure them, oh, on the contrary, I show up every week. No fire comes down for me, you know. But that mentality is that God is opposed to me. He hates me. I'm a sinful person. I don't go to church. I don't obey the rules. In fact, I'm really good at breaking the rules. And so these, these Pharisees and religious leaders, they avoided these, these people. And here's Jesus is hanging out with them, teaching them. Not only that, but he's having meals with them. He went to Zacchaeus' house and had dinner. What, what's the significance of a meal 2,000 years ago in the Jewish culture? It was massive. To sit down and have a meal under the Jewish customs and Jewish law was to say, you are my friend I receive you, I accept you, I love you, I'll be loyal to you, I got your back. And that is why they were having a religious conniption fit when Jesus is having, you know, a little pasta with the sinners. Right? They're losing their mind. How can he do this? Everybody knows you don't eat with these sinful people. You punish them. And so to answer their, their little thing that they were going through, Jesus tells three stories, one about a sheep, one about a coin, one about a son. Let's talk about the one he tells about the sheep. Look at the next verse, verse 3. If a man has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them or one gets lost, what will he do? It's a rhetorical question. Everybody knows. Well, the the shepherd's going to run out and he's going to leave the 99 in the wilderness and he's going to go search for the one that is lost. What does it mean to be lost? Out of place, not with the group, not under the shepherd's care. And he searches for that lost sheep. Watch this. I love words. I love words. You've got to focus on words in the Bible. Until. He doesn't search for an hour and give up. Or maybe two and say, well, you know, what are you going to do? We've got 99 others, so what's one? Let him get eaten by a wolf. <laughs> you know? No, he doesn't do that. He searches for the one. Say it with me. Until. Until. When my oldest son was about five years old, he had a party. His friend had a party in the mall. It was a -a Build-A-Bear party. Anybody familiar with these parties? And so we're in the mall, party went great, and we all go to the food court to have lunch afterwards. And it's packed, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon, everybody's getting Chick-fil-A, of course they were. And all of a sudden, I look around, and my son is gone. I can't find my son. He's five years old. I look at my wife, and I'm like, where's Andrew? Maybe she looks at me and says, where's Andrew? I can't remember exactly. But that feeling of dread came over our soul, in our body, and we felt this pain that only parents really can feel, maybe grandparents as well. Like, your child is missing in a crowd? In the mall? And it's packed, and I'm looking around, and I'm looking at all these different hallways he could have possibly gone down, and all these different stores, and the exit is right there, and the doors are opening and closing, and, 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 and I'm like, I start to search, I start to freak out, I start to search the whole, you know, I'm looking, and, and then I realize I can't look everywhere, so I get four or five of the dads, I said, hey, Andrew's missing, would you go that way, Andrew's missing, would you go that way, would you go that way, and all the dads, you know, they, they kick into gear, you know what I'm saying, like dads are awesome. And they're like, I'm on it. And so this guy goes this way. This, my, my buddy Mike went this way. And, and a, a few moments later, it had to be just maybe, maybe a few minutes tops, I hear my buddy Mike say, I found him. And he, Andrew was standing at the door. He was watching the doors do this, the opening door. 
And so Mike brings, Mike brings Andrew back over. You know, half of me wants to strangle this little five-year-old and half, the other half is squeezing him to die. Oh my gosh, I love you so much. <sighs> Do you think at that moment I would have been like, hey guys, let's take a quick peek around the mall. But if you can't find him, we got two other kids. It's fine. <laughs> there's Bo, there's Ruby. <laughs> no problem. Do you think we would have done that? No, we would have gotten somebody to watch Andrew, Bo, Bo and Ruby, and we would have hunted and hunted and hunted and hunted until, we see that verse again, until it's going to be right there, <laughs> until Jesus is telling these guys, you want to know why I'm hanging out with these notorious boneheads, these thieves, these people who sell their bodies because that which was lost was so valuable it was worth an all-out search you want to know why we as a church are on a relentless pursuit we just believe that we just believe this story people are so valuable to God that they are worth our time to go on an all-out search for them Every single week. We call it a relentless pursuit. We just believe this story. That this is God's heart. And that when one person is found, there's this joy that comes over us. Listen to what Jesus says as he finishes the story. And when he has found it, he will, watch this, joyfully <laughs> carry it on his shoulders all the way home. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors saying, watch this, rejoice with me <laughs> because I have found my lost sheep. When we found Andrew that day, there was a elation inside of our soul that is hard to put into words. My wife, if she were here, I, I, I can't even explain to you how she felt when, when we found him. Joy, rejoicing, that which was lost was found. Listen to how Jesus says, what he says in verse 7. In the same way, guys, listen, pay attention, you religious leaders of, that think I shouldn't hang out with these notorious sinners, right? You think God hates them. Actually, I came to save them. I came to put them back in their rightful place because they were lost. In the same way, there is more, say with me, joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and have not strayed away. Or we could say, who think they're righteous and think they haven't strayed away, because we all have. Aren't each one of us the one that got away, yes or no? Aren't you here today because someone relentlessly pursued you and God tapped them on the shoulder to invite you? We're all the one that got away. God loves sinners. What a scandalous message. God came for sinners. And those who were not like him liked him because they felt it. They saw it in his eyes. They saw the love. Now, I wish the story could end there, but it doesn't. Yes, God came for sinners because he, he wants to be in relationship with them. But if they should die without Christ, they perish. People who are lost right now are perishing slowly, slowly, like a fish out of water. 
But if they die without Christ, they perish forever. Without Christ, people perish. We believe people live forever. They are eternal beings. They'll spend eternity with God, or they'll spend eternity apart from God. In perhaps the famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, we see this come out crystal clear. Listen to this. This is what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall, say it with me, not perish. What does this word mean? Perish. It means to be utterly destroyed. Like Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, to put back that which was out of place into its proper place in a relationship with God, and that's the hope, and he wants to use you and me and the church to do that, but if they should die without Christ, your brother, your sister, your mother, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your, the stranger in the mall, wherever you go, if they should die without Christ, they will most certainly perish. You know, at this church, we don't talk a lot about hell, but it's a reality. It's a place that Jesus talked about. It's a place where people go to pay for their sins because they opted for Jesus not to pay for their sins. They perish. What is hell? It's not a fun, fun thing to think about. You know, the Bible describes it as a place of torment. The Bible describes it as a place where there's flames of fire uh, that torment people for eternity. That's not a, a, a pleasant thought. We don't like to think about that. But I think the worst thing about hell is, is that there's no God there. I mean, think about it. See, right here on earth, we experience we experience God. We do. Some of you are like, well, no, no, we don't. I've never seen him. I've never heard his voice. Hold on. Hang on. Hang on. Everything that you touch is from him. Think about water. That's God's fingerprint. Water, H2O. Think about air. That's God's fingerprint. He created air. Think about wood or cotton, clothes, you know. Everything you're wearing today is evidence of God. The air you're breathing is evidence of God. The lunch that you have today is evidence of God. God has saturated this world with all of the wonderful gifts that he's given us. In hell, there are no such gifts. Think of a place where there is no water. Think of a place where there is no air. Think of a place where there is no birds or a sunset or a sunrise or any sort of music, or tune, or words, or poetry, or literature. Think of a place where there is just no God, and you get hell. Jesus said, I've come so that people would not perish. I've come that, 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 so that people will not spend eternity out of place. I've come to put them back in their proper place. Now, I don't know about you, but when I, when I contemplate the finality of hell, I suddenly get very motivated. People say, what? why do you always invite people to church? I invite people to church like all the time, wherever I'm at. Hey, you want to come? You want to come? Nine o'clock, 11 o'clock, four o'clock? Banta Greenwood, Franklin, you know, wherever you're at, online, whatever church. I'm the church inviter. <laughs> why? Because, because I am committed to this vision that God has of, of helping people who are out of place come back into place and, and ultimately they do it before they die because if they don't do it before they die, they will perish 
forever. And listen, if there is no hell and you're like, well, I just don't believe in hell. I just can't believe, I just can't believe in a God who, cre- who would create a hell. Listen, what's the point? If there's no hell, Adolf Hitler isn't even there. What's the point of good and evil? There's no point. There's no point to the cross. There's no point for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He didn't have to because there's no penalty after you die. See, if there is no final judgment, if there is no hell, there's, there's, there's no point in gathering today. There's no point in church. It's all pointless. You with me? This is a tough thought. But Christianity has no value if there's no eternal punishment. If there's no possibility of human beings perishing without Christ. That makes our mission the most critical mission on earth. Because we're trying to help people not perish, but have eternal life. And so we're on this relentless pursuit. And I think right now I'll shut up and I want you to hear a story about Rachel and Paul. Because I think their story captures the relentless pursuit better than anything I can say. Check out their story. I was sitting in a... uh abandoned house with no lights, no water, the windows were broken, uh, and uh, all I had was uh, just a little basket of clothes, and uh, I had a a needle in my arm, and my arm was bleeding, and blood was just running down my arm, and I was trying like as hard as I could to to fulfill my, my addiction at that point in time. My name is Rachel Martin. And this is my husband, Paul Martin. I came to Emmanuel after I had a rough couple of years. My sister passed away. Um, I was back and forth between Texas and Indiana. And I kind of was just in a place in my life where I wasn't sure who I was or who I needed to be. And I was very lost and confused. Um, When I moved back home, I was looking for something else. I wanted to put down roots, but I wasn't sure how to go about that. And I had went to a friend's house and me and Paul reconnected. And I really wanted to go to church, but I was scared. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know, you know, where to go, who to go with, who to pick. And when me and Paul reconnected, I was talking to him about it and he said, hey, I go to Emmanuel. I was like, I, I definitely want to go with you, and I became addicted. How I came to Emmanuel, I was, uh, I was in a treatment facility, and uh, the bunkie that I was in my facility with, he was going to uh, the Garfield Park campus, and uh, just when he would leave and he would come back, he would just have this spark this just just different you could just feel it when he would come in the room and I was like man I want to go I want whatever you're doing as soon as I can leave I want in when I realized I needed God and I wanted a relationship with him I was um, at the bottom I had a lot of childhood trauma and I was just dealing with that in my present-day life and I just wasn't happy and um, I felt lost and confused and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing with my life or who I was and I was looking for something more. And, uh, and I was just looking at myself and I, and, I, and I was like, man, I've got to do something. I can't keep doing this. I can't. And, and I went and checked myself in the facility and I said, on the way there, I said, this is it. This is it. This is the shot. This You're going to take this one and we're not looking back. And 
once I got in there, I, I really uh, sat down and had to take a long look at myself. Since I've come to Emmanuel, uh, I've had multiple friends that uh, struggle with drugs like I had, and uh, I've been able to, through my walk with faith here, I've been able to you know, relate with them on the same kind of issues because we have the same type of problems. And I've been able through those issues to be able to say, hey, look, I'm now going to a manual and, and God has really done some things for me in my life. Why don't you just come to service with me and, and who knows what can happen. What I would say to somebody that's struggling or on the fence, I had 17 years of, of addiction and despair in my life to where I didn't know where I was going. I was just struggling. But through me giving my life to the Lord and, and following, following in the right steps, I've been able to show eight other people, not even show, just open the door for them to be able to find their own way and give, give their selves to the Lord to where they have their own path now and their lives where there isn't the destruction and despair that was going on for them on a daily basis. They actually have hope. And I feel like that hope is powerful. It's something that if once you have it, it's, it's uh, you, you feel like you have somebody standing right next to you in the fire. You have, you have somebody to, to battle with coming from to the lowest you could possibly be in your life to being able to take somebody and get them out of that, to raise them up from, from the lowest feeling you can feel to now you can see them during the day and they got, they got a smile on their face, their kids are back in their life because they decided to, to, to listen to you and take a chance. What a wonderful feeling. If you're afraid to ask somebody, to ask somebody to come to church with you, I would say don't be, because there's so much joy and so much power and so much hope in inviting somebody, just that small invitation that you have no idea what that person is going through. That little um, handout could be a lifesaver for that person. So if you're feeling awkward or weird or you don't want somebody to look at you differently, I would say ask them to come with you no matter what. Even if they tell you no, ask them again because you can always change somebody's life by just inviting them somewhere as amazing as this place. And if we didn't come to Emmanuel, we wouldn't be who we are today. And it's the most, the biggest blessing that we've encountered in our lives so far. Sometimes you just gotta close your eyes and jump. Yeah. I love what Paul said, hope is a powerful thing. Where do you find that hope? You find it in the kingdom of God. Where do you find freedom from addiction? In the kingdom of God. Where do you find peace in your heart? In the kingdom of God. Paul and Rachel stumbled their way into the kingdom because someone pursued them. And I love their story because it didn't stop with them. They didn't say, oh, now we have peace, or now I have freedom from addiction, or now I, and, that, and okay, that's great. 
they said, now, no, 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 wait, who else needs this? They looked around and they saw all these friends around them and said, man, they need it too. And so what did they do? They relentlessly pursued their friends, eight other people, and said, you got to come, you got to check this out. You need to taste the hope and the peace and the joy that I have found. And did you hear the joy in Paul's heart when he realized he could be part of helping someone else experience that same joy? Did you hear it? He said, there's nothing like it. That's our church. It's as if God is tapping each one of us on the shoulder and saying, hey, there's people perishing all around you. Would you go and relentlessly pursue them? And then when, you, when they're found, will you rejoice with me because my lost sheep has come back to the fold? Can I ask you a question today? Who are the lost people in your life? Who are they? Do you even know? Are you even paying attention? Do you even care? Or are you just going through your life and worried about your stuff and your career and your money and your this and your next purchase and the pain in your back and all the stuff you've got going on? I mean, is that your life? Or are you on a relentless pursuit? Are you part of God's mission? to see as many people as possible come to Christ and grow in Christ with the time we have left. Who are the lost people in your life? Right, right now, we're gonna have our worship teams lead us in a song. And during this song, I would love for you, each and every one of you at all of our campuses, to get up out of your seat and grab a pen that is on the walls all around you. There's, there's name boards at your campuses all around the room. And I want you to write the names down of the people who are lost in your life. You say, why would we do that? Because I want you to see their names. Every time you come into the space where you worship, whether it's Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, here at Greenwood, I want you to see that name and I want you to be reminded to relentlessly pursue them. So during this song, I'm gonna ask you to just stand up and do that. And I know that may be awkward for some of you, or you may feel like, Mons, there's a whole row of people here and I can't get out. So here's what, if you don't want to get up, you feel uncomfortable doing that, I'm going to ask you to text RP to 65248. And if you text RP to 65248, you're going to get a link back on your phone. You click that link and it's going to take you to a page where you can jot down two names, three names, four names of the people in your life that you're gonna start relentlessly pursuing. And then this week, our staff will write that on the board at your campus for you. But if you can, by any means, get up out of your seat during this next song. I think there's something powerful about writing that name down. And when you write that name down, say a quick prayer. Put your hand on their name and, and ask God to give you courage and opportunities to talk to them, invite them to invest in their life, and then return back to your seat. That fair? Let's do it.